Welcome tonight. The Lord bless you. You can be seated. In case you're wondering, we do have quite a few that are out tonight for the ladies' conference. I'm not sure where some of the men are. Uh, maybe they're participating there too. Um, quite a few out for the ladies' conference. Uh, I'm, in not, I'm not in a hurry, but neither do I feel tonight to belabor the point um, and just drag out. I just want to share a few things with you tonight. Uh, we have been on an amazing ride so far the last um, six weeks, six weeks maybe, about that, six to eight weeks it's been. Um, we've been on an amazing ride. And to see where we are now compared to where we were and um, see that all that God is doing and the results that are already starting to happen even before we even really get deep into what God's trying to do has been absolutely amazing. Um, we had our second group night last Sunday, and um, even with a couple of groups trying to change around their time to see if that would work better, they had a few less, a couple had a few more, and uh, even with all that, the first first group night, and it's not about numbers, so don't get caught up now about numbers, but, but you have to measure something, okay? You can't just measure, you know... There was love in the room. That's not a measurement. <laughs> so we got to measure something. Um, so please, it's not about numbers, but there is a measurement to be to be looked at here. So the first night, we did it three weeks ago, two weeks ago, whenever it was, our first night, we had 108, 184, which to put that in perspective to, to what that number represents, that would have been, that is our highest total for any non Sunday morning combined service in our 15 months. So we've had a couple of totals bigger than that when both Severn and Crofton combined. But outside of that, that was our highest total for any Antioch West event outside of those combined services. Last week, last Sunday night, uh, just a few days ago, we actually had 186, which was two more than we had two weeks before that. And considering there was a few that were down, a few that were up, and it was absolutely amazing. So, 186, and to put that number in into perspective, which is even which is even a greater way of looking at it. Sunday morning we had 231. 28 of those were a part of the bus ministry. So let's take the 28 out. That gives us 203, which means 186 of 203 is 91% of the people that were in Sunday morning were in a group. That is, that's, a, the particip, that's participation that's off the charts. Now, that's not where we're going to stop, because I fully believe when we, when we get functioning correctly and we're getting this thing implemented, and you got to realize this, I haven't been down here in a couple of weeks because we've been dealing with stuff upstairs with the with small group leaders. So it's the first time I've been down here in a couple of weeks. We haven't even really begun, folks. Okay, so let's understand that. This is all just practice. This is warm-up. This is preseason. The game doesn't start to January. So considering how awesome it's been so far, and we haven't even got involved into the real, real meat of it, but I believe within the... Beginning of the year, and I don't want to say beginning and put a time on that, but, but not too far into all this, I fully expect and believe my faith 
is that our, our group attendance will become greater than our Sunday morning combined attendance. I believe that. If we're functioning correctly, that number will be greater. When that happens, I don't know, but I believe it's coming sooner than we expect. Um, because we're in the middle of something, and last week called the war, if you were here, basically called the war. It was four, three days and four nights of, of crushing every sacred religious cow there could ever have been, pretty much. <laughs> um, and within all that, and we've, we've been hearing that, the bishop's been talking about this for a while now and all this stuff and tweeting and posting and all that and sort of last week was the culmination of that. There's some things that stuck out to me last week that really we have to be mindful of that are extremely important. And I'll preface it by saying in this, by, by making this statement. In 1976, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which is a football team, was started. They were not a team that had been around. There wasn't a team that, you know, like certain teams had been around since the 30s and 40s and 50s. They were a new team. It was an expansion franchise. And 1976, they came to be. For their first 20 years of their existence, I believe they had four coaches. I remember today, I read it. Four coaches in their first 20 years of existence. None of them, none of them came even close to winning even half their games. Like I think one of the best one of the best records, if I'm correct in this, if I remember this, the best record of the of the coaches in the first 20 years was he had won 23 and lost 41. And he was the best. 1997, they hired a relatively unknown man at the time. They hired a man by the name of Tony Dungy. He eventually went on years later, to win a Super Bowl coaching the Indianapolis Colts. But he wrote later in his book and discussed the fact that when he took over the job and he assessed the situation, that he knew in order to take this franchise that had not only never had a winning season... They had never want, even come close to winning barely anything at all. In fact, they were the laughing stock of the NFL. They were made fun of. They were just a joke of a franchise. And he said in order to take this franchise from where they were, in order to take them to where they, he wanted to do, he realized it wasn't simply coming in and changing the X's and O's. If you don't know what that is, that's coach, that's coach talk for the plays. It wasn't simply to come up with better plays. It wasn't simply the idea uh, to come up with better ideas of, of, of how to make the quarterback do this, the running back do that. But he said the thing that had to happen was there had to be a change in the culture. That in order to affect the play on the field... There had to be a culture change in the locker room. There had to be a culture change on the practice field. It wasn't about simply what was happening on the field. But there had to be a complete culture change. And this is some of the stuff that he wrote down in his book. Just some stuff. This is what he used to tell his players. Here's a laundry list of excuses that players 
easily hang on to and make and make excuse for a poor season. Poor season. One was we have a new coach. One we have to learn a new learn new plays. We don't have the we don't have good enough facilities. Our quarterback's too young and inexperienced. We never get the benefit of the doubt from the officials. It's always the officials that are causing us to have problems. We have too many distractions in our stadium and, and, and whether or not we may get a new stadium or not get a new stadium. We've ne- we never can win when it's cold outside. So this is what he said. This is what he challenged them. Be a pro. It sounds like kind of crazy, but when you're talking about young men who just come out of college that were used to all their lives being uh, pampered because of their talent, and they, they come and they, they come a part of the come a part of the, uh, the, the the NFL team, and now it's a job, and you got to treat it like a job, and it's not something you just do when you feel like it, but it's something you do every day. He said, "Be a pro." Number two, I love this one. He said, "Act like a champion." Wait a minute. We haven't never won any, we haven't even come close to even making the playoffs. We haven't even come close. But he said, start acting like a champion. Start now. Don't act like a champion when it's on the field, or you're not going to get on the field unless you start now. He said, third thing respond to adversity, don't react to adversity. Respond to it, rise above it. Things are going to happen. Stuff's going to go wrong. The official's going to call back, play on you. You're going to get hurt. You're going to get injured. The player next to you may do, may, may do something to affect the team. But instead of reacting to it, respond to it. Number four, he said, I love this one. Be on time. He said, being late means it's not important to you and you can't be relied upon. I didn't say that. That's Tony Dungy said that. Number five. Do what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it. Not almost, but all the way. Not most of the time, but all the time. And finally, he said, take ownership. Now, I'm not here tonight to try to correlate those into into. The church. That's not what I'm trying to make. I'm trying to make the point that that he understood that in order to get these players to perform better, in order to get the product on the field to rise, in order to go from a losing team to a winning team, it wasn't simply calling better plays. But there had to be a fundamental shift in every aspect of how they did and operated, and the culture had to change. And it hit me last week more so, I've thought about this, but it really struck me. We're making a lot of changes. We're doing a lot of things that, are, that God's directing us to do. It's not good ideas. It's not stuff that, oh, let's try this and see. These are all God-ordained things. We're doing what God has asked us to do. God's told, telling us to do. But simply changing and thinking change alone of of. of, 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 of of what we're doing is going to work. If we do that, it's basically, it's a program. The small groups become another program, something else that we do. We're just substituting small groups, uh, Sunday night church gatherings for small groups. And that's all it becomes. But in this, 
There has to be, and that's one of the things as we progress in this, you're going to hear this repeated over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. I've said it now for a little while, not just since the not just since the, the, the vision that we've been given, but really going back a while back about the change in our culture. You can know, you, you, there are some of you, depending on your job, your job has a certain culture. Your job's got a culture. There are certain things, the way people act. You might have a, a job where it's very relaxed. You may have a job where the culture is very intense, highly motivated. You might have a job that everybody's very rigid, very focused, very disciplined. If you take the, 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 the military men in this room, and I'm not, I wasn't in the military, I grew up, Surrounded by it, what isn't in it? So I can I can only speak to to what I know. But these there's men in here uh, and women that could speak to the experience experiences firsthand. But to take somebody that's a civilian and make them to a soldier, it's not simply telling them what it means to be a soldier. It's not just simply telling them how to fire, how to use a weapon, or how to march and all that stuff. But it's to change their culture. That's why you see people that have been in the military for years, they still have the culture that was in them in the military. There's men in here, there's women, you might have been retired out of the military for 10, 15, 20, 25 years. But that culture that was drilled into you, it may have been only a small portion of your life. It may have only been three or four, five, six years. But that changed fundamentally who you were. You didn't just simply learn. I mean, you see people in the military, they come in, they, 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 they may not have a good posture, and then when they go to the military, they come out, all of a sudden they've learned how to stand straight. Whether or not they want to or not. And even long after the, the, the being forced to do that, even long after the drill, the drill instructor and whoever else, the senior officers are telling them how to stand, it's built in them. It's second nature. And so that's one of the things that, we're, that, that the Lord is trying to help us with. Is, it's not to just identify what needs to change structurally. And we're doing that. And we're starting to see the changes. That, and there's some more things to come. As we gradually step, take step by step. We're doing that. But there's got to be. Got to be. A shift in our culture. I'll give you a case. I'll give you a, a for instance. Bishop Wright has been talking about now, has been really hammering home the idea of church. So I'll use the term even though we're trying not to use it, but I'll use it for, for sake of context here. Church service centered evangelism. Which means that our whole focus of evangelism is inviting people to a church service. And he's been hammering that. And I believe that. However, it's not the goal to simply now shift that same focus to inviting people to a small group. All we've done is kept the culture but just changed the location. Should we not invite people to our small group? Absolutely. But there should be a change in culture where we start to get out of the emphasis that everything has to be about inviting somebody to a location. 
That's one of the reasons why we're trying to go this way. We're trying to go this way because we want that culture to change where it's not centered around a facility. Yeah, we're still using homes. We're still using rec centers and all those other things. But we're trying to go that way because it's not simply about duplicating what we do in services by doing that in small groups and inviting people to there. Do we want to invite people? Yes. But that's one of the things why we're trying to have a disciple shift. Discipleship, but disciple shift. We're trying to become discipleship focused. Because disciples will produce other disciples. And so there's culture things that we're trying to address here. I read this the other day. I thought it was very interesting. I don't know the man who wrote it. I don't even put, put him out there because I don't know him. He may be a whack job. I have no idea, but I like what he said. He says, culture trumps vision every time. You can have an, an uh, eternal mission and a vision for growth and an unhealthy culture will undermine both. Yes, your church needs systems and strategies. Yes, you need to discover your mission and clarify your vision. But clarity in an unhealthy culture will lead to disaster. So making changes just for the sake of making changes without there being a fundamental change in our entire makeup of how we think, we're just going to find ourselves just circling back around. And I have found myself over the last little while here as I have challenged, or I should put it this way, as I have been challenged by the Holy Ghost, I have found myself noticing more and more that there are things ingrained in me. Things I say, the way I think, that it's just, it's second nature. But I stop and I start catching myself and I'm thinking, wait a minute, is that even biblical? And the more I desire to become, break out, Of that, the more I find that there's more and more things every day that God's trying to change. I'll give you one. I'm gonna. I'll probably teach about this down the road. I'll just give you the first. I'll give you the first shot at it. Maybe it's good if small group. That way, if it's really crazy, you might just and everyone's passed out. But we have, we have, we have only given credence. How, how, how can I put this? Where the Lord gave us. We've only been, we've only given credence to birthing, but we have not given credence to conception. And birthing can only happen without conception. And what do I mean by that? There's nowhere in scripture, you can find nowhere in scripture, where the Bible says that you're to pray the sinner's prayer. It's not in there. Can't find it. Can't find it anywhere. But there are, there are scriptures, John, Romans, there are scriptures that do state belief 
on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you shall be saved. Now, most of the religious world has taken that. And that's where they stop. But that is conception. Because when you conceive a child, that child is put in you. And it's growing, but then eventually it has to be birthed. That, that seed of conception where you believe that Jesus Christ is, and he is my Savior, and he died for my sins, that's not something to be dismissed. That's something to be given credence to. But John tells us in John 3, the birthing process. But I wonder how many, can I say this? I wonder how many people we aborted because we did not give credence to the baby that was in them. How many people did we abort because we couldn't get them birthed, so we just dismissed it when they had conception in them? Some sow, some water, God gives the increase. How many of you women, unless you had some kind of scheduled indu- and, and you were induced or you had a C-section, if you had... If, if how many of women you had a due date, but let's be honest, you might have used that as a sort of framework, but you knew at any moment, once you got towards a certain point, at any moment, any moment, that child could come. You didn't know when, and the doctor could try to tell you when, but he didn't know when or she didn't know when. But when the baby was ready, the baby was coming. Your job as the mom would be to be prepared because the baby's coming. You knew when that baby was growing, you knew the farther along you got, the more prepared you needed to be. But it was not your job. You can go out and do the walk-in, all the walk-in you want. I think there was other stuff you could do, like they drink something like hot tea or whatever it was. Jump up and down. You do that. But you can, because only God knows when life's coming. And I wonder how many people we know. I'm, I'm, I've, been, I've been really working hard, really working hard the last little while. I've got a group of guys that they're all, they're all Catholics. There's about five of them. I mean, I, I mean this sincerely. They are some of the most sincere guys you'll meet. I mean, they are sincere. They are, they are committed. They are as genuine as they come. I've been working on those guys. You know what? I don't dismiss any of their sincerity. And not one time, and I guess, you know what? If this is the case, then just crucify me tonight. Just throw something at me and just, just let's just get it over with. I haven't one time told them, you know what? You need to be baptized in Jesus' name. You need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Oh, how can you not do that? Because God hasn't led me to do that yet. Because I pray every day, Lord... Give me the wisdom of what to say, when to say it. I've been working on it. It's been a year. Not there yet. But you know what just happened the other day? It's been a year. Not, nothing. I've been working on it, just working on it, year. One of them came, we got a, one, one of them came to, uh, uh, used preaching at Antioch United as an opportunity to, to coax one of them to coming. But working on these guys now. Finally, the other day, they got to talk and they're asking these questions. Because they always ask questions. I said, hey, guys, I got a great idea. 
I say, you know what? Instead of us talking, always asking questions, let's get together at your house. You can invite anyone you want to. And we'll just get together. And we'll talk about, they looked at me like, that's a great idea, as if they never had thought about that before. <laughs> I'm believing in that Bible study, whatever you want to call it, to get together, that God's going to begin to do it. My point is, is that culture shift number one we're trying to do. This is one of the ones. I don't want to go too deep into any of this because some, most of them are self-explanatory. Culture shift number one is going from us to them. A culture shift where it's about me to it's about them. You say, well, I, we're there. No, we're not. Because let's be honest, when we come to church, what's our number one priority? What can I get out of it? What am I going to benefit by it? So what does that, now, not here. We've fought hard to not, to not fall in that trap and to follow the Holy Ghost. But you know what churches started doing? Churches started then appealing to that attitude. And making church about those that make them more comfortable and making church, making church built around that and making church about those that are there and coming up with better ideas and better programs to get those to come back to be with us. But one of the big things we're trying to focus on is it's not about me, it's about them. If God does not meet another one of my needs that doesn't give me the right to come to church, fold my hands and pow. Look at the list of stuff Paul went through. This mumbo-jumbo, banana, terrible doctrine that everything in your life has to go good or you're not blessed is not even scriptural. Because if that's the case, Paul was cursed. My God, he said, I was hungry often. Shipwrecked, beaten, chased out of town, thrown in prison. Apparently he wasn't giving enough to the TV ministries to get out of his trouble. Sow into this ministry, you will get out of trouble. Apparently, Paul was not sowing enough. But you know what? All that he took, it wasn't about him. Do I believe God wants to supply every need in here? Absolutely. But go read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. What did it say? Take no thought. No thought what you should wear. Take no thought what you eat. Why? Your heavenly Father knows what you have need of. He knows what you have need of. Take no thought. So the first shift is, and again, that's self-explanatory. First shift is, it's not about us. It's about them. Second one is, is going from a staff focus to a leader focus. What does that mean? It means going from the idea that a few do all the work to the idea that we're all involved in this. That's one of the beauties of this small group model that the Lord has given us and we're implementing is that it gives opportunity for more people to take active roles in being involved in what God is doing. Because let's be honest, when you come to church, there's one microphone. One microphone. Apologize here. One microphone, that's it. We can't... The idea and all that is there's one opportunity to minister. And if that's all God has for us, then that's it. But the opportunity now to go from a staff focus where one person's doing all the work or two or three or four. Now everybody gets to be involved in what God's doing. We already have, I think it's about 10 or 11 groups. 
We've got 12 groups, I believe now, 11, 12, something like that. And the fact of the matter is, is that there's already within those groups, people that are leading those groups and people that are rising within those groups. So now we've gone from one to 12 to 24. That was the model of Jesus. Jesus desired to multiply. If anybody, anybody could have done it by himself, Jesus could have done it by himself. Anybody could have done it. He could have done it. But he knew in order to make this thing work, one became 12, 12 became 70, 70 became 120, 120 became 3,000. So again, self-explanatory stuff. Third one. Ooh, this goes to a little bit of number two, but this is a part of it. Going from consumers to contributors. That's sort of the same way of saying the first and the second one, but just a little different way. Going from consumers to contributors. What does that mean? Going back to the same point, where I'm not trying to figure out what am I getting out of this, but how can he flow through me? How can he flow through me? Number four, going from, and not, we haven't really done this, but it's something we've, but something that may have been in there a little bit, and this may be the last one I'll get to tonight because I don't want to be too long. Number four, going from programs to purpose. What does that mean? It means simply not filling up the calendar just so that we can say we're doing stuff. But everything we do has a purpose. Everything we do is to a, goes to a central purpose. That's why one of the things we're trying to do is we're trying to make sure everything fits within the structure of the small groups. What does that mean? I'll give you a good example of that. Sunday morning. We don't want to just say Sunday morning is a, I'll use this term, even though we're not trying to use this term, but you understand this term. Sunday morning is a church service. Because if we say Sunday morning is a church service, that appears as if it operates outside of the system. But Sunday morning is a collection of small groups. You say, isn't that sort of just twisting the words? No, it's not. It's not at all. Because it's so in the purpose of what it is. Sunday morning is a celebration time where small groups come together to worship together. It's not a separate deal. Why? Because, let's be honest, go look at, and this is not a reflection or beating up anybody, but let's just look at the fact. You go to look at most churches, what do they have? They have what's called an outreach ministry. As if outreach is a ministry that you can be involved in or it's selective. Well, I'm not, that's just not me. I'm not involved in the outreach ministry. That's not even biblical. He said go. That didn't give the... To the outreach team, go in all the world, preach the gospel. Yeah, this, that's one of the things, beginning we talked about this was, we had the care group ministry. And I'm not saying the word ministry is bad, but when you put that kind of connotation on it, it basically means it operates outside of the big picture. For instance, you had what is the most important things I, admit, I think I said this a couple weeks ago, one of the times I talked to Sunday night. But I ask you, what was one of the most important things in our culture? We're going to culture thing that we put. What is the most important thing? You got to come to Sunday morning, and you really got to come to Sunday night. And if you're real spiritual, you're going to come to Thursday night. 
And if you just really want to get your schedule going, you could probably make it to a care group. But really, we want you there Sunday morning, Sunday night, first and foremost. Right? And so what do we do by saying that? We say that basically Sunday morning and Sunday night, that's the epitome of Christianity. That's the peak. If I can come to church Sunday morning, and if I really come to church Sunday night, stamp my ticket. I'm, I'm right there, 100% going to heaven. Don't pass go. Don't collect $200. I'm on my way. That's not the case at all. That's one of the things that we're trying to go back to, again, circling back around, and I'm gonna, we're going to repeat ourselves a lot because we have to understand you can't just say one thing. You've got to repeat it to make sure. One of the, the, the keys of teaching is repetition. But one of the things we're trying to break the mold of is trying to break the mold of Sunday to Sunday Christianity. That's not biblical. We're trying to make a seven-day-a-week disciple, not a Sunday-to-Sunday Christian. What does that mean? That means we want everybody to be engaged during the week. Not saying spiritually speaking in tongues, and, but where there is engagement throughout the week. Because you know people, I know people. As pastor, you know people that you sit next to. You see them on Sunday morning. They come in at 10.30. They leave right when it, the preacher says, you're this. Boom, they're gone. <laughs> they don't see anybody. They don't talk to anybody. They don't look at anybody. They don't hang out with anybody. And they'll come back again next Sunday at 10.30. And that's their whole extent. And their entire world is wrapped around everything that's outside of their walk with God. That is not healthy. That's not healthy. In fact, I, I got to be honest with you. I, I, I don't, I'm not trying to judge anybody or tell somebody where they're going to heaven or hell. But bottom line is I have a hard time believing you're going to go to heaven with that mentality. I don't see how that's going to happen. So we're going through this stuff. We're going through it case by case. We're going through it. I think I mentioned this a while back. One of the key things we're trying to do, we're going to be doing over the next little while here, and I don't know if there will be a point in time where we officially stop. We'll just probably circle back around. Is one of the things that we're going to try to do, attempt to do, is make sure that we're all speaking the same language. Why is that important? Well, if you go back to the biblical example, Tower of Babel, they were able to do what they did because they were able to communicate on the same, as the same language. If you go back and you watch what God did, he smote them and gave them different languages. He did not suddenly take away their ability to build. He didn't take away their strength. He didn't take away their tools. He simply changed their language. And by changing their language, he brought all production to a halt. If you ever get around one of these government guys and you listen to them, in about 15 minutes, they'll throw out about seven or eight acronyms. You have no idea what they mean. They all know it. They all have this, like, secret language of acronyms. All you government people, you do. All I can see you smiling. All of you do. All you government people have these acronyms you guys just rattle off as if we all know what they mean. I have no idea. <laughs> but everybody that you, that's in your group, your culture, 
when you say those acronyms, they know exactly what they mean. To us outsiders, we have no idea. But if you talk to somebody that's in your culture, in your job, but if they came in right now and changed and suddenly decided, you know what? Give me, come on, Brother Joel, give me an acronym. Give me one good acronym you guys use. SOP. So SOP, which should be standard operating procedure. Thank you. So if they decided to come in the next tomorrow and they decided, you know what? We're going to change SOP, what that means. And they sent out to every department and 10 different departments and all 10 different departments had a different definition for SOP. All of a sudden now you have massive confusion. And all the production starts to hinge down because the language has changed. So one of the things we're trying to do, we're trying to do is we're trying to make sure we all understand and speak the same language. That's major. Major. That's one of the things we're trying to do. Very simple. Very, very simple. And it's been very difficult for me. I didn't realize how ingrained it was in me. I'm trying my very best to use the term church gatherings, not church service. He said, what's the big deal? Well, church service is not biblical. But church gathering or the gathering of the church is biblical. We're trying to change it because the mouth are speaking things into existence according to the word of God is everything. I got to tell you this testimony real quick and I'm done. Because I didn't want to go very past 8 o'clock. I know some of you are very disappointed. You want to be here. I call the bishop up. He has at least an hour worth of material he could give to you tonight. I heard this the other day. I thought it was awesome. Maybe this will encourage somebody tonight, full circle. This lady, she'd been in the church for a while, and um, her husband wasn't saved. And um, she got this revelation about speaking things into existence. And you know what? I've got to be honest with you. Some of the perversion of Christianity has caused some of us to shy away of things. For instance, that name it and claim it, blab it and grab it group where you're supposed to speak it all to existence, my Mercedes, my Bentley. And we've been afraid because we don't want to do that because we don't want to be in that crowd. So we, they, just because they've taken a biblical principle and perverted it, we have shied away from it. You can't talk about giving because you talk about giving, you're automatically lumped into all the knuckleheads that are trying to pad their bank account. But giving is a very legit biblical thing so she got to hear about this name just speak it into existence stuff and one of the key things about speaking things exist existence is speaking it according to the will of god you can't just be naming stuff you can speak a tesla all you want but you're still gonna be driving your chevy it just doesn't work that way <laughs> speak it Brother Bailey, speak it. You can speak all you want. <laughs> there it goes, brother. I crushed some dreams just then. I'm a dream crusher tonight. So she got she got revelation. She got fired up. So she came the next she came to service next week. And um, she walked in, the usher was there. She said, I need two seats. What? You've been coming to church by yourself as long as I know you. She said, I need two seats. So they walked in and found two seats and set her down. Well, sure enough, no one came. So the next week she came back. She walked in again. She said, I need two seats. 
He's like, okay. So he gave her the uh, two seats. It was the usher that told the testimony. She came back the next week. I need two seats. So he was curious now. He just said, I forgot her name. He said, sister, uh, why do you need two seats? She said, my husband's coming. He's like, man, praise God. This is awesome. We've been, we've been believing for him to, you know, to be saved. All these, This is great. Two, give me two seats. My husband's coming. She sat down. We didn't show up. She came back the next week. I need two seats. My husband's coming. Well, then he started watching it because he was getting curious now because he felt bad for the lady because he thought for sure maybe she finally lost it. And he's feeling bad for her because she's speaking all this and nobody's coming. So he felt, But then he watched her. And so she would come and she'd sit down and every once in a while he'd notice she'd just lean over and she'd say something. But nobody was there. She'd say it again. Nobody was there. And he's like, I know, he literally, I knew it. She lost it. She has lost it. I mean, there it is. Done. She came in week after week. Week after week. Two, my husband's here. And he watched her. Finally, I forgot, somehow he wasn't on duty. He wasn't doing usher and whatever it is. So he thought, I'm, he, he, he had gotten curious about this. And he's like, I got it now. I'm going to sit behind her. I got to find out what she's saying. I want to know this. He was, he was like half concerned, half curious. So finally, he came in, same, same deal. This is after a couple months. I need two seats. My husband's coming. Well, by then, they knew he ain't coming. Now they're laughing at her because they're like, this is just getting ridiculous. So he waited for her to sit down, and then he, he noticed there was an empty seat behind her, so he kind of, he kind of snuck his way in behind her, and he's like, I'm, I'm going to find out what's happening here. Sure enough. Service was going. Pastor got up. He started preaching. And after a few minutes, she leaned over. She said, honey, did you just hear what he said? That was awesome. That was great. That really touched us. Leaned over. She, you know, honey, the Lord can do that for us. Let's just believe that. She started talking as if he wasn't there. He was curious. And she would turn over and she turned and she was speaking as if he was already there. Sure enough, baby. This went on for about another month or two. And finally, she came in. She said, I need two seats. They go, yeah, 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 I know your husband's coming. She walked in and sat down, and sure enough, guess who came in the back door? Her husband. Guess who came and sat down on the seat right next to her? Her husband. Guess who lifted up his hands and received the baptism of the Holy Ghost? Her husband. See, that's the problem. We want to speak it, and it happened right then and there because we don't want to sound like we're crazy. But sometimes you got to speak it, and you got to keep speaking it. And when everyone thinks you've lost your mind, you just keep speaking it. When everyone thinks you've just given in, you keep speaking it. You keep speaking it. You keep speaking it. You keep speaking it. I drive by every day. My kids now go to school in Odenton, we, and I drive by, and it just so happens that the route I take, it wasn't on, it's not intentional, it just happens to be the quickest route. The route I take literally takes me right next to the property. I get right off Burns Crossing Road right there. I stop at that light right there, Burns Crossing and Sapting every day, and I look over to that empty blank 
ground that we don't have the money. And I say, I speak a building and I speak finances every day. Guess what? I haven't got a check in the mail yet. No one's called and said, we want to bless Antioch West. But you know what? I'm going to keep speaking it. And I got to be honest with you. If you saw me, you'd probably think I'm crazy. But that's okay. You keep your mature doubt and I'll keep my childlike faith. You keep your sophistication and your doubt and I'll keep my craziness and my faith. I wonder what would happen. Ooh, I just feel the Holy Ghost here as we close. I wonder what would happen. If we just start speaking some things into existence in our life, start speaking things into existence, start speaking things into your, into your small group, start speaking things into your job, start speaking things into your family. We're good at speaking the negative. My God, we're phenomenal at that. Well, I just don't know if I can do that. that sounds crazy. Well, you're sure good enough to speak the negative. Why not speak the faith? And why don't you start speaking things and start claiming it and start saying it. Now, don't go crazy on it because then you'll say, well, God's not doing it. But speak things according to the will of God. What does that mean? It's that you know there are things that are going to benefit the kingdom. You get in a bigger house so you can sit back in your mansion not benefiting the kingdom. But if you want a bigger house so you can have more people in a Bible study, that's for the kingdom. But God knows your heart. Don't be using that as an excuse. I really need, I heard one person, this was hilarious, years ago. Oh, I should, shouldn't tell this. Hopefully no one here knows this. Years ago, there's a house came for sale. I won't tell you where it is because that will give it away. Big, I mean, this thing was like, I think it was on the market for a couple million dollars. Literally. Now, most, for, for a few of you in here, that's, a write, that's writing a check. But for most of us, you know, that's a lot of change. And this person came up. And said, you know what? God's going to give me that house. Praise God. Why is God going to? Because so the youth can come over my house and go in the swimming pool. Now, is youth a big deal to God? Sure. I'm not sure God's going to give you a $2 million house so that youth can come over and go swimming. My point is, if you speak things, you speak it according to the will of God. Speak things. If you've got things in your life, or you've got things God's put in your spirit, speak them. And if they don't happen tomorrow, speak them again. If they don't happen next month, speak them again. If they don't happen in two years, speak them again. And keep speaking it. Keep speaking it. Keep speaking it. Why? Because every time you're doing that, you're releasing. You're releasing. And he said, my will would be done on earth as it already has been in heaven. It's already in heaven. It's got to be spoken on earth. Bishop said it last week. He heard a man say it, and I believe it, and I believe that with all my heart. We need to stop praying from earth to heaven. We need to start praying from heaven to earth, meaning we need to get into his. You can't be doing that if you're carnal. Don't try that if you want to be carnal. But when you get in fellowship with Jesus and you walk into his presence and you get the mind of Christ, you can begin to speak things in the spirit because you're not speaking from earth to heaven, but you're speaking down from heaven under the will and the unction of the Holy Ghost. And you can begin to speak things. Why? Because God needs somebody to speak. Speak it. I wonder what would happen with all the stuff that we have going on, with everything that's happened and all the awesome things, if we would just take our faith to a new level and begin to speak things into existence. What would happen in your life if you would speak things into existence? Would you stand? Speak it.
Turn to somebody and just tell them, say, speak it. Speak it. And when the devil tells you, you, you you're crazy, rejoice because you know you're on the right track. Because he wouldn't be telling someone they're crazy unless he was scared of what was going on. So when that mind comes in you, this is the dumbest thing I've done. That means get roll the window down and yell it out the car. I tell people all the time, if you get nervous driving in the car and praying because you people think you're weird, put a Bluetooth in, you got that covered. They all have no idea what you're doing. Speak it. Speak things on your way to work. Speak things at your job. You don't have to yell it. God doesn't need to work based off your volume, but speak it in your job. Don't you mean there are people in your job God wants to heal, God wants to touch, God wants to save? Speak it in your job. Well, I don't know if they want to hear it. You know what? Speak it. You don't have to be yelling down the hallway of your job, but speak it. Speak it. If we could become that, we can just speak things and start to speak things into existence. We are giving God something to work with. Praise God. Let's just thank the Lord and just give him praise one more time. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for what you're doing in our midst. And I pray now in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would be, continue to move and work through us and in us. We submit ourselves to you. You be the center of our life. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. We thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, praise God. Amen. The Lord bless you. Make sure you greet somebody. In Jesus' name, God bless you. Hope to see you Sunday.